Welcome to the Memoirs of Abiding podcast. I'm Chris Bryant, and we wanted to start something a little different and counter to what many have been taught or learned through experience. Our topics will be practical and theological, focusing on what the early church saw. What we are going to talk about isn't some new idea, but rather an old idea gaining traction again. Our tell is sharing our experiences and looking at the Bible in this material. Our ask is that you will take it into your own devotion time and ask the Lord how to best apply it. We will continue to talk about this material each week, and we have blogs addressing practical applications at www.memoirsofabiding.com. We hope you experience God through talking about his word with us. All right, welcome back, um, Ricky. We are going to continue on what we talked about last week a little bit. I know you wanted to do that, so I'm, I'm glad you're able to make it back. I'm excited to be back, and I'm excited to continue talking about the whole aspect of abiding as parenting. Yeah. So let's dive right back in. Model, mode, and modus operandi. Just a quick recap. The model was Jesus and the discipleship through how he pointed to the Father and everything he did, right? Everything he did, he was reflecting God the Father. And then we talked about the mode. The mode was using God's word. He pointed to God's word, whether it was scripture itself or whether it was the themes of scripture, the themes of the prophet, the themes of the, the Torah, all of that, he pointed back to scripture. And then the last one was the modus operandi. We talked about modus operandi was, was how you accomplished what you did. And that was through active discipleship. And so what I wanted to do to point I know we're going back over these. I don't want to redo the same thing, but let's bring it into practical terms for the parent or the would-be parent. To apply the mode to their life as, or excuse me, the model to our, our, our own life as a parent, modeling Christ's relationship with the father, our relationship with him. How does that play in to the, the, the daily life of a parent? What are some things that they do to model this in their own life? Well, I know I would actually start with what they ought not to do. They shouldn't say things like, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> yeah. They, they shouldn't expect their children to be students or memorizers of the word of God if they are not doing that. So they need to, like anything else, if they want their children to be enthusiastic, they have to show some enthusiasm themselves. And we've seen this a number of times in scripture. We've talked about it quite a bit. I, I think another way of looking at it is our kids tend to love the things we love. And they will fall into habits that we have. Even if they choose a different implementation of the habit, I don't know, like maybe somebody has a, a smoking habit. Maybe their children won't follow them in smoking, but it's pretty high probability that they will eventually have a habit similar to that that's just as harmful as that or kind of models what mom and dad were doing, even in rebellion. I don't like that you do that. 
and we see this all the time, young people, I don't like it what mom and dad did, but they have something just as egregious <laughs> that they do and their kids have the same conversation. We have to break that cycle and breaking that cycle to being the model parent is being a follower of Jesus that abides highly in Jesus is washing away the habits of the flesh through the word of God and that the kids get to see them doing that on a, a routine basis, lovingly, joyfully, building contentment in the household. Yeah, yeah and, and back to the idea of a model, especially with kids, they attach to all of these different types of models, like a sports star or an action star, a coach, a parent, a teacher, even superheroes. You can see the kids wanting to to show the attributes of that individual or using the words that that individual uses, uh, liking the same foods, wearing the same clothes. Kids, I think, innately connect with some modeled pattern of behavior or, or thought. And so as a parent, if I am living in a very fleshly life, then my kids are going to see that and attached to that mm -hmm. in some way or form. The amazing opportunity that we have as parents is when we abide, then our kids see this abiding. When our kids see that and they see the authenticity of our faith and that it drives, even in the deepest, darkest moments, it drives us to find joy. That, that affects them. Even more so when we are helping them through one of these situations and they, like our kid falls down and they hurt themselves and we say, oh, are you okay? Oh, and they're crying and they say, let's pray over this. Our first thought in their mind is, well, that always goes back to prayer. Like even when I, you know, I, I scraped my knee, he prayed over it. So now all of a sudden they're being introduced to prayer is the first thing I go to. So then they start modeling that in their own life. Oh, well, I see a friend on this, the, the school playground that falls. Oh, I'm going to pray for them. Hey, I'm going to pray over you. Uh, Lord, I pray for you. It could be an innocent prayer, but they start seeing it and they model that in their own life. Whereas if we're the opposite and we always hear about the the cycle of dysfunction with abuse, right? And addiction. And we see, a, you know, a kid that goes through an abusive household. A lot of times we'll see some abusive habits transfer over to that kid in their own, kind of like what you were saying. It, but even if it's not as egregious as that, if a parent is living this double standard of telling their kid, oh, well, you should pray over your knee that hurts. <laughs> you should pray over their knee that hurts, you know, yeah, like model yeah. it for your kid or, well, it's bedtime. You should go read the word of God. Okay. But they never see you read the word of God. A Bible is always on the same place on the bookshelf, but you watch that TV. And again, there's no condemnation in this, but are we modeling <laughs> to our kids the consistency in what we're telling them to do? If we are, what an amazing opportunity to really see this proverbs 22 right proverbs 22 6 says train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it 
Well, yeah. if we train up our kid, it's not just saying words. We're training them up by our, our actions and our, our reactions. If our reactions are prayer, if our, our actions are reading the word of God, talking about the word of God daily in any situation that comes up, then that's training them. If it's just saying, yeah, you should read your Bible. Yeah, you should pray about that. Let's pray over this meal, heartfelt, yep. Then I'm not training my kids. I'm just telling them. I'm instructing them to do it. And there's a big difference. Well, I don't, I don't know that it could, I could say it better than that. I think having discussed both last week and the intro here this, today about this truth generally, biblically, what does it look like to abide? Well, one of the main features of abiding is to abide in the word. So passages like Deuteronomy 6 and Psalm 78 and all the other passages we've talked about over the, these months is very important. But what you're making it very practical, and I'd like to just uh, piggyback on that for a moment. The way we sometimes structure church life is not conducive to what you just talked about. For example... I I wonder if the body of Christ in America would feel very good about itself if we could get a completely honest survey of the majority of quote unquote Christian churches, Bible believing Christ centered churches, where learning the word of God, the truth of God, is left up to a Sunday school teacher or an Awana director or in middle school or high, junior high or high school to a youth director rather than mom and dad spending not just quality time, but copious quality time the way the Bible directs us to do with our children. One of the things I have seen in youth ministry for many, many years now is I'll ask a student, hey, uh, are you guys talking? I'll ask students, hey, are you talking to mom and dad, uh, grandma, grandpa, you know, whoever their household happens to have in it about the things we're learning? Mm, no, we don't talk about that very much. And in my conversations with parents, hey, I uh, did. Did your son or your daughter chat with you a little bit about what we talked about at youth group the other night? Talk about the Bible passage and how it applies to their life and the life of a believer. No, I'm not really comfortable with that. I got to tell you, Chris, after some 40 years of, of ministry with families, I've heard that so many times that I know that it's not typically the church that should be looked at in terms of why younger generations are stepping away. It's households. Now, if, if one wants to lay the blame of why are households, moms and dads, failing to do what you were describing so eloquently, if you want to blame that on the church, okay, we're not discipling adults to abide in the word of God very well. All right. But 
young people are not learning it because it's not happening at home, right? Yeah, you can't you can't send your kid to Sunday school and then expect them to abide in the Word if you're not abiding in the Word. Yeah, and yeah. abiding requires that we pour it into our hearts. You know, again, let's let's direct people to Psalm one nineteen. Uh, please, folks, read Psalm one nineteen and do what the psalmist says treasure God's word in your heart, store it up in your heart that you might not sin against God. So I think sometimes the people just have to break it down to some serious practicalities. Are you doing this or are you doing that? If your child or young person is getting more Bible from somebody else at church, then you're out of bounds. This is that simple. I like that. Let's transition over to mode. So the mode was the horde of God, right? That's, that's where we're going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of the amazing things, the question that came to my mind is, have you ever told your kids wrong information though you didn't know it at the time? And of course I've done that. My kids asked me about some animal and they said, dad, do these live in, in the, you know, brackish water? No, they don't live in the brackish water. And later they come back and like, yes, dad, see, it says right here that they live in brackish. You know, like sharks, my kids are into that. Well, when we apply in our life this idea that we are the, the knowledge center for our kids, and we do that, we answer all of their questions with our own beliefs and with our own thoughts. That's a dangerous precedent in their life because now dad is the ultimate source of, of truth and of of right. Mom is the ultimate source of truth and right. If that's the case and we stop abiding, we start doing things that are contrary to the word of God. Now, again, going back to the model, we're showing that all this truth that they got, one is either I can't trust dad to tell me anything true. Maybe they're a little older and they can start making that connection or, well, maybe the Bible doesn't have it right. Maybe I just interpreted it wrong. So we tell them what to believe. It may not be a correct, but we might say it with this confidence. And they, they'll probably believe us. But then we get to this point later on where we're trying to tell them, well, this is what the Bible says. Well, Dad, that's not what you do. <laughs> and it's like, okay. So instead, the practical application of this is whenever our kids come up with a question that is more existential in nature, not does this shark live in, in rivers and lakes, but if it's an existential one, and what I mean by that is, does it have to deal with their existence, someone else's existence, our existence as a whole, our purpose, our meaning, you know, the big questions that come in life. If it does, what an amazing opportunity for you to say, you know what? Let's go see what God's word says. Amen. And we go to the concordance in the back or we go to the, the index and we just look up that verb or that noun. Or we know a story in God's word that might have that. Maybe we're abiding a lot. We're reading God's word a lot. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, why don't you teach them about 1 John 5? And you're like, you know what? Let's open up the 1 John 5. Let's see what it said. Holy cow. There it is. Look at that. That's what God says about it. What do you think? We're pointing them to God the Father. His words 
through the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of these people, of the apostles, of the prophets. Oh my goodness, man. Like that is exactly what Jesus was showing to the disciples. Amen. In fact, if there, if if we are abiding the way the scriptures talk about it, and and I know you you share this sentiment with me, you know, we struggle with explaining it well enough, explaining it enough, yeah. <laughs> getting it all out there. But when we overwrite our fleshy past with the word of God, the the goal is not just to know where to find it in the Bible, but to respond with God's word intuitively and instinctively. That we pour it, it the riches of God's truth into us so that our will and our thinking is the will and the thinking of God. Not that we become deity, not that we will rise to, you know, I know the Bible so well. It's not that kind of thing at all. It's becoming so comfortable with the truth of God because we've read it and studied it over and over and over and over in a joyful, expectant, motivational, emotionally satisfying and challenging way that it overtakes us. And we're not the person that we were before we started doing that. Then when the children ask us questions, we can do both things. We can say, oh, my goodness. That really reminds me of what King David said in Psalm 22. You know, that really reminds me of, you know, this whole thing about Leviathan in the book of Job. Or this really reminds me of, you know, the question of, you know, who's going to be in control of our lives, God or ourselves, you know, in, in Genesis chapter three. And then, as you say, walk your child through that but but we become intuitively and instinctively able to interact with the kids based on god's perspective nearly all the time now somebody go that what are you talking about who can know the bible that well anybody <laughs> the answer is anybody if you can read i well, i suppose and if you can't read if you can listen to it on on a digital recording uh, or okay, so maybe you're deaf, and there if there's a way of communicating, if there's a way of getting it into my mind, then there's a way of pouring it into my heart and my soul and my spirit. And I, you're exactly right to wait until the kid goes to Sunday school in hopes that they learn this stuff, or youth group that hopes that they learn this stuff. And then they go away to college and they're not abiding in the Lord. And then you're mad at the former youth pastor that, you know, mom and dad, we got to give that up. Yeah. Mom and dad, it's on you. And I want to affirm what you're saying there with the scripture that you're talking about. Psalm 119 verses 97 through, we'll just say 101. He says, this is in the New American Standard Bible. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, 
that I might keep your word. What is that saying? That is saying that I have made your word so much a part of my daily life that my understanding of things that I walk through, things that I see and perceive, things that I might not even understand, now all of a sudden I have understanding because I'm in God's word. Wisdom truly has become a part of me. That is exactly what the Lord Jesus taught those early disciples. It's exactly what we read in the Gospel of John. Well, all the all the whole the whole Bible tells us this: that God's truth must be our truth, and we need to be able to share it with other people. And in order to share it with other people, we have to pour it into our hearts. Uh, I'd like to encourage everybody to go to Psalm seventy-eight as well, verses nine through seventy-two kind of recount the failure of Israel and how they wouldn't do what we're talking about. But in verses one through eight is the, the, the succinct, clear message of pour God's word away in your heart. Every adult follower of God, pour God's word away, store it up in your heart, and then share it with the next generation. Those are the, the two salient features of how to go about this is do it yourself and share it with the next generation. You see that crystal clear in, in Psalm 78 uh, verses one through eight. Yeah. So the two things that responding in this way does for our kids first, it teaches them to find answers in God's word. And that's, yeah. that's the big one. Our, our children don't need to just know about the stories in the Bible, but apply them to their life, just like we've been talking about, not for information, but reading the word of God for transformation. Amen. That yeah. is true biblical discipleship when we walk our kids through that. And that is if we connect it back to Jesus's great commission. It's not just going to other nations. Let's start in our house to make disciples of our children in our house. And then allow them and equip them to go out to make disciples of all nations. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing that I see out of this method that Jesus chose was that it connects them to God's answers. It's not dad, Chris Bryant's answer. It is, this is what the Lord says specifically. So we want them to understand where these answers come from. It's not dad's opinion. It's not, you know, Ricky's opinion. It's not pastor this or pastor that's opinion. This is what God says. And so it can prevent that misunderstanding when we say something and maybe they understand it differently or they hear it differently from someone else. We go straight to the source. What's your source of identity? The Bible, dad. Yeah. What's your source of purpose? The Bible, dad. Yes. Where do we find that? It's right here, dad. Look, bam, that's discipleship. Holy cow. Yeah. Amen. And, and they'll do that later then. You know, now they can, anybody can turn their back. Sure. Anybody can turn their back, but anybody can turn their back, whether we do it well or poorly, we greatly reduce the chances of them turning their back when we do it well, when we do it the Bible way, rather than whatever old way we've been doing it. Yeah. We see what you're saying, even in the 12 disciples, this was Jesus himself. And one of them walked away. That's right. So, you know, we're nowhere near where Jesus was, though he's empowered us with the Holy Spirit and told us that as we live in him, 
we can do things greater than he did. Yes. But just yeah. think about three years they walked with Emmanuel, the word that became flesh, and still one of them turned their back and betrayed him as they had already predicted that he would do. So when you, one of your children, if you're going through that trial and one of your children walks away, that is a tragedy, but it's not on you to control it. And it's not on you to feel shame and guilt in that oh, I failed them. Did you walk through that, that abiding with them? If you did and they chose it, then we respond to the Lord and say, God, help my child walk back to you. And we live that life that we've already been showing to show them and model them. Even when you're responding in rebellion, I love you and I pray for you, but I don't respond in rebellion. The flip side is if you did not abide with the Lord and your children go completely over rebellion hill or something like that, then it is on you. And, and then the response is a lot different. Then the response is you humble yourself. You go, you go to your grown child and you say, I, I have failed you. I, I, I beg your forgiveness. I, I, I gave you the world. And I, I did not abide in the Lord. And in not abiding, I didn't model the Lord for you. Oh, yeah, I took you to Sunday school. We went to church fairly regularly. You even went on a couple short-term missions trips or Bible camp. But you never saw me read the Bible. We never stopped in the middle of whatever was being discussed or whatever was going on and say, hey, let's turn to God and see what he has to say about it. Let's pray and look in the word. You never saw me on my knees. We were Christians when we went to church on Sunday morning. And the rest of the week, we were like everybody else. I mean, even if you weren't like everybody else, even if you, your household wasn't filled with egregious habits, it wasn't filled with the Lord. And that it is on us at that point, right? I mean, then we have to ask for forgiveness. There's really no getting around this. And it's not like you or I are trying to beat people up, but this is the truth of God's word. This is the truth of God's word. When we fail to abide, we're teaching our children to fail to abide. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Really good point. Let's shift into the modest operandi. When we mentioned this one, now, this is how do we do this? We're already getting into discipleship. You can see how all three of these have this natural progression that we see with abiding. Uh -huh. So as, as parents, our purpose is to live such a dependent life on God that our children absorb that same lifestyle. That's a great way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. A freely lived life dedicated to God can not only touch our children's hearts, in normal everyday incidents, but even in their traumas, even through abuse, even through rejection in their life, all of those through our dependence on God can transfer to them having that same level of dependence. So this doesn't mean that they won't have flesh responses. I mean, we, 
We see that in children all the time. And it doesn't mean that we don't potentially have flesh responses as well in trials. But where does our heart align when those things happen? Is it surrender on our knees like you're talking about? Or is it pride and saying, well, you know, my kids didn't see that, so I'm, I'm okay. Well, you know, it, it can make a difference in a child's rebellion when they see the peace and joy that we experience. When our joy is made full, like the Lord Jesus talks about in John, or that Peter talks about, or that John talks about, is it made full by our relationship with Christ? If it does, and we're devoted to the Lord through that, then our children, they, they, they just, they'll see this. It's like John chapters 14 through 17. We've hit on this before. These are like the main abiding chapters that we talk about showing such a great modeling of that. But when we're doing that, our kids see that and that's discipling them. Even if it's not with words of telling them how to live, when we're showing them how to live each and every day, that's the consistency that they need. Yeah, I, I don't know how to say it better than that. Uh, you know, Jesus taught them generally. He taught them specifically. He taught them in the warp and woof of life. Uh, he took time out, you know, quiet times, dedicated times. He modeled it. Uh, it was it, they it was it was like breathing it was like breathing this dependent life upon god and you know like jesus over and over again said these are not my words they're my father's words these are not my works these are my father's works and then he said to us you take my words and you take my work and you abide in my love and you abide in my my truth, my life, the way I abide in my father's. And in John 17, you know, shortly before the cross, really, he's praying for them and for us. And he says, Father, I pray that just as I abide in you and you abide in me, they will abide in us. Just as you and I are one, they will be one and we will all be one together. That's an incredible thing. I mean, to, you know, to be able to turn to your children and say, hey, guys, uh, I want you to do it perfectly like Jesus did. And I'm going to try to model it as well as I can. But the promise of God is that if we do this together and we all learn to abide in harmony and agenda driven lives based on the will and the love and the peace and the compassion or the heart of the father, we're all going to turn out, we're all going to do, do okay. So, you know, modus operandi is just bringing it all together into that, that phrase you use at the beginning of this third section, complete dependence upon God. Our life is dependent upon God. There are metrics to help us with that. You know, what am I more dependent on? My time in the word or television? Am I more dependent on faith in the Lord or my paycheck? Am I more dependent on the joy of God in my life? Or do I need continual activity to make me feel alive? 
Uh, we can measure these things metrically. And guess what? The kids can watch us. <laughs> and they know where our purpose is. Yeah. They know. You know, they they know. That's all, that's all I can say is, is they know. And I think it's not a cakewalk, cakewalk either. It's not like this is simple. I mean, when Jesus was modeling this for us to the early disciples, he sometimes put them in precarious situations and said, okay, now as you've seen me do, you do. So he expected them to become more like him. So we can expect our children as they grow to become more like Jesus. And uh, as you've said many times, he allowed them to make mistakes. And then he taught them if and when they did make mistakes, as opposed to kind of like, you know, all right, now straighten up and fly right. I'm going to smack you upside the head. Uh, wasn't much of that going on in the life of Jesus. It was more of, hey, guys, let's get back together now and talk about what we've done right and what we've done wrong, what we did good, what didn't turn out so well. Why didn't it work out this time? It was. And when he did that, every time he pointed them back to the father. As I abide in my father, you abide in me. I think that's got to be a part of our modus operandi. Hey, guys, I'm trying to walk with Jesus. I want you to try to walk with Jesus with me. Hey, guys, it's thank you for loving me as your dad. But I want to point you to a greater father in heaven. I, I hope you hear my voice when you're not with me and you're having to make a difficult decision. But more importantly, I hope you hear the voice of God. I hope you hear the word of God in your heart. Yeah. We see Jesus sending out the disciples in Matthew 10. We see him equip them and then send them out to do as he did. And there was there was a few times where he would send them ahead. Can you rely on on the father like I rely on the father? Go take the boat over there. I'm going to go pray on this mountaintop. You go, go take the boat over there. And of course, there's a storm and they flip out, right? What They weren't relying on it. Oh, but then Peter did for just a moment. But then he fell in the water and, and so Jesus rescued him. In Matthew 10, they go through and, and they attempt to uh, follow Jesus's example in that. We see it in Matthew 17 as well. But we see them kind of fail to, to remove a demon from someone. And Jesus says, you know what? This was because of this. He would always come back with the discipleship and say, oh, you missed it on this. This is what, this is what you were missing. And it's the same thing as a parent. We already do this to some extent. You know, if, if they're playing ball, something, oh, you know, if you would have just shifted left and went up the, the two gap instead of the four gap, you would have got this. We, we have a, an innate ability to do that and the things that interest us in yes. hockey or baseball. Yeah, you know, when you swing that bat, you know, make sure you're not throwing your hip too early because then it might go off into the, the right field too far, right? But do we do that with the word of God, with their faith? Do we help them? You know, son, I noticed that you had a flesh response today at school, which is why I was called into the principal's office. I'm not, I'm not angry at you for the flesh response, but let's talk about this real quick. Where was your heart in this? 
oh, dad, I just got so angry because this kid called me names. And okay, but what name does, does God call you? Well, you say it all the time. He calls me his son. Yeah, his son. Does it matter what some kid, some bully says? What well, little bit it does. Well, okay, but your identity is solid, right? Yeah. Well, maybe next time sink into that identity and not what this bully is saying. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, Dad. You know, like we can come alongside them just as Jesus did. Jesus wasn't telling them about like, oh, well, you know, uh, if we could just invest some stuff at the market, uh, if you would have invested the money more, we could pay out more to the poor people. <laughs> you know, or he didn't yeah. he didn't do it for worldly things. And even in the worldly things, like paying the temple tax, Jesus just somehow managed to bring it back to God and said, yeah, go down to the river and uh, just the first fish you catch, just uh, pull the money out of there and we'll pay it. And then he follows that up with showing some examples of what it looks like in, in God's kingdom. Right. And it's it's such a such an amazing example for us to be able to see that. But then it's it's sad that a lot of us maybe didn't even learn how to do that. Maybe we don't even know that as a parent who's a who's a Christian raising children to be Christians that that's modeling what Christ modeled not necessarily the legalistic side and and I use legalistic cautiously here but taking our kids to church praying before meals praying you know the bedtime prayer our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done we go through those going to church sending them to these mission camps and all of that but that's not really what jesus is calling us to do just like you said he's talking about it in deuteronomy 6 like when you wake up when you go lay down when you're on the road when you're at home that doesn't mean when you're on the road on sunday and then the rest of the week you're not on the road like it is a 24 7 thing of our mind being saturated updating our kids on each and every move they make that's that's impactful, helping them to align that with God. If they don't want to, they don't want to, but that's really good because that you know that's that second half of, of Psalm 78, verses one through eight, sharing it with the kids. But let me ask you a question. You know, go back to that illustration you used of the, the young person gets called to the principal's office and you the parent goes there and then you know, maybe as they're leaving, he says, you know, boy, you responded in the flesh. You probably should have thought about the Bible. Given how you were describing it from coming from an abiding mother or father, one who's doing what we've talked about consistently growing closer to God, it will elicit one type of response. But what happens when the quote unquote Christian parent who's not abiding the, mom, the kids don't see mom or dad in the word of God, praying consistently, uh, modeling dependence upon the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but instead just see churchianity, you know, the, the Sundays and so on and so forth. Then we say to them, well, you probably should have read your Bible a little bit more clearly. Then what's the response from the young person? Well, then it's just, you know, whether they do it on the inside or the outside, they're resisting it. They're rolling their eyes and shrugging their shoulders yeah. and saying, yeah, right. Yeah. 
um, and they might not, they might be fearful and not do it on the outside, but uh, like it's not, they'll do it on the outside. But even if they, they don't have the gumption to do it on the outside, you can bet they're doing it on the inside. It's not going to be met well. And I would rather a quote unquote Christian parent who's not abiding in the Lord, avoid talking like that to their kids. Because now they're asking their kids to do something ritualistically or regulatory to save mom and dad's face in sure. public. Yeah. That's yeah. That, that's what, don't talk to them about it if you're not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I hate to kind of come towards the end of our time and it be on a negative note, but it's just really important for moms and dads out there to understand that this is life and death. This is eternity we're talking about. This is the mind of Christ that a, that a, a Christian can come to be associated with. This is 2 Corinthians 10, taking every thought captive to Christ Jesus. This is, Matt, this is Ephesians 5, where it says of the Lord Jesus, he, he purified and sanctified the church, his bride, purifying them by the washing of the word of God. This is Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is everything we've talked about. So to just chuck it in there when we don't do it will be more detrimental than good. Yeah, met with rebellion, both in the relationship between parent and child and between child and God as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. And again, coming back to the wholeness of this, this isn't in condemnation. We go back to Romans 8, right? Therefore, now there is no condemnation in Christ um, for those who are in Christ. So that's not what we're getting at. What we're trying to show is practical ways that if if you've been following along with the podcast for the entirety, or if you just stumbled into it now, listen back to what we've been talking about. These are practical ways that you can answer the question, yeah, but how do I show this to my kids? Some of this is, is so difficult. You show it by living this. If you haven't lived it until today, then make the covenant between yourself and God to start abiding, to put into practice the three skill sets that we talk about, reading God's word for transformation, to live a life of dependence through surrender and submission to God, and to listen for the leading and promptings of the Holy Spirit. And all of those, if you hadn't guessed, are, are moved and actuated by the Holy Spirit. So then in your own time, asking the Holy Spirit to partner with you and to give you the skills that you need to do that, then when that happens, then you can start modeling this for your kids. It's not Amen. a do today, say tomorrow. It's live today continuously. And even if your kids are in the teenage years or they're grown up and they haven't seen this, what a testimony it is to start actually living for Christ and for them to see that as adults who can think and logically process and to see the change in, in mom or dad. So I encourage you and, and exhort you in the Lord to just look at what we're talking about. Go through. This was scripture rich. Even though we didn't read all the scripture, there is a lot of scripture in here that we'll have in the notes. Follow that. Walk in that. And ask the Holy Spirit, empower me to live this practically and to teach my kids. And I'll guarantee you the Lord will answer that prayer. Amen. Amen.
Well, this was great, Ricky. I love this. And we've got one more week of parenting and abiding. Uh, we will probably come back to it again. But for this month of January, I think this has been great conversation. I know it's been fulfilling for me every time we do it, uh, which is just yet another lesson about abiding. The more you do it, the more you say it, the more you ponder it, the more you chew on it, the more it becomes a part of your go-to thinking. Amen. So as we close out, we want to end with an important scripture that reminds us to abide in him. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. As you walk through this week, we encourage you to review the scriptures and themes we talk about and ask the Holy Spirit to team up with you to bring this information to life personally in your own walk. Thank you for listening. God bless.